Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Hello, everybody, and welcome to my recap of Episode 2 of Moon Knight. I am Dan Merle. This is Muffin. She's going to be joining us. She'll probably leave in the middle of a review. She usually does, but she just wanted to chill, so I said, hey, why not? So we pick up episode two not too long after the end of episode one, after we first see the emergence of Moon Knight, the battle with the Jackal in the museum. Steven returns to work and has to explain to his boss why he's running around like a maniac on the surveillance cameras from what seems to be like an invisible monster, and I think that we've all been in that situation, am I right? But because running from invisible monsters is generally discouraged in a museum, he loses his job, which is really sad because he didn't really even like the job, but it was still the best thing in his life, and a lot of people mentioned, and I didn't make mention of last week, the steak scene, which I specifically said was one of my favorite parts of episode one. There was one thing that a lot of people focused on, which is the fact that he ordered the best cut steak that there was, but then the waiter said that he was going to default to cooking it well done. And how'd you like that? Good. Yeah, very good. Very good. Yeah. I'll, uh, put you for well done. Oh, okay. And a lot of people, I think, wrote that off as, like, bad script writing or whatever. I honestly think that waiter was just messing with them. It's just like, you know what? If you're going to be just a general weirdo, then you get a really nice steak. Well done. I like a nicely cooked piece of meat, but even I know that you never order a steak well done at a restaurant. So last episode, we introduced this concept of these items and this person named Mark and the fact that Stephen is obviously, to his own knowledge, not Mark. Here we go further down the rabbit hole. Stephen discovers that he has a storage locker. There's a cot. As bachelor pads go, I think you could do worse, especially given the real estate prices in London. And this is where we get the first glimpse of what's going on. He finds a passport for Mark Spector. He finds a gun. This really seems like some Jason Bourne type stuff happening here. And I want to stop here and kind of give you my perspective on this, which is that I'm coming at this show, and and I saw this episode from the perspective of not knowing the whole DID angle, not knowing the fact that there was a Mark Spector as well as a Stephen Grant, and I found this episode and the build-up to it to be fascinating as hell, because I was sitting here wondering what's going on. When he would blank out into this other world, I didn't know that there was another personality there, and it brings up kind of an interesting thing, and it's something that I've talked about in a couple of my other reviews. There was some objection to the fact that I I am watching and reviewing this show without knowing the source material. So there are things that I don't know as the show is unfolding that a lot of people are ahead of me on because they've read the comic books, they know the storylines, they know the plot, and they think that in order for me to give a full and comprehensive review of something like Moon Knight or Dune or whatever, then I will also need to be able to know how well that is adapted from the source material. And listen, I'll openly acknowledge that my perspective on Moon Knight is certainly different probably than the perspective of somebody who does know where the plot might be leading or what the basic setup is and I'm certainly in no position to give an opinion on something like how well this is adapted from the source material but I don't think that that makes my opinion uh, not count because while it seems like most people are probably acquainted with Moon Knight I would wager there are as many or more people watching the show that don't know 
the premise of the show. I personally love these first two episodes because I am learning for the first time what's going on in much the same way that the character of Steven is learning for the first time what's going on. It makes me appreciate the story. It actually, I think, gives me good clarity on the writing in the sense that they're not, I'm not really taking anything for granted. It's great to come at it from a background of extensive knowledge, but there are those of us who are really enjoying having the story told to us the first time through this particular lens and through this ad adaptation of it. So I would encourage you, if you know a lot about Moon Knight, uh, not to shut out people like myself that don't know a whole lot about the source material, because it could be an interesting perspective that's a little different from the way that you're seeing the show. Regardless of all that, we get a better look at Khonshu, and we really understand what Khonshu is, this ancient Egyptian god. I love the execution on this character. You've got F. Murray Abraham's voice. It's just a very creepy looking thing. I know that you enjoy the work I have for you. We need each other. And it's even creepier when you put it in the context, particularly in the storage unit. I was a PA in Los Angeles for many, many years, and I spent many days inside storage units just like these, cleaning out and rearranging stuff. And I can speak from experience on just how creepy it is to be alone in one of these things with the lights that turn on and off with the motion. I feel like when you combine that just general creepy atmosphere that so many people have been in firsthand with the design of the creature, the sound design on the voice, I just think it's it's been really effective how they've used it on the show thus far. I was also under the impression that the only person that was really in Steven's head, quote unquote, was Khonshu. So when we get to the scene outside the storage unit where we meet the character in person of Layla for the first time, and we realize that she has seen Steven, and apparently she has lived this entire other life with him, but not as Steven, as Mark. Are you living here with someone else? No, oh, no, 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 um... No, this is my mom's flat. That's where it really got me intrigued because this isn't just a voice on the phone. This couldn't just be a misunderstanding because they didn't meet in person. Obviously, there's either like a twin thing going on here or somebody's been brainwashed. I was trying to figure it out myself. And the whole reveal with the DID thing, uh, again, it puts the first episode in perspective with the mirrors and talking to himself. Uh, you understand the full relevance of that. I like how they're using these six episodes because it really is kind of unfolding as a small movie. It doesn't feel like they're trying to make artificial plot beats in these uh, first, you know, two episodes to make them seem like mini movies because it's like, well, if we don't have two or three action beats and people aren't going to be satisfied, it really does seem like long form storytelling, which I think is the advantage with things like these Marvel shows. I've liked the structure so far, and I'm going to be very curious to see if they're able to keep the pace and structure intact as we get towards the end of the story. This is also the on-screen introduction of May Kalamaui as Leia, Mark wife. They obviously have a very complicated relationship that we're learning about along with Steven. And I will say again, without tipping my hand too much, that this relationship gets even more complicated and intriguing as the episodes go on, or at least the two other episodes that I've seen. I talked last week about really digging Ethan Hawke as Harrow in this show. And I think it only deepened this week because last week we established that he has this motive that again, you can understand why he's coming from the place that he's coming from. And then here, when we introduce the character of Mark, we get the fact that Harrow, despite the fact that he's trying to do this sort of pre-crime thing, is in many ways the moral superior of Mark. So he's got something over both Stephen and Mark. I'm curious, do you think that Kanchu chose you as his avatar because your mind would be so easy to break or because it was broken already? We learn a little bit more about Mark, the fact that in his past he was 
part of this cold-blooded mercenary team that wiped out a bunch of people? Is that really so much worse than what Harrow is doing? It's this complicated hero-villain relationship that I think is going to keep this show fresh as we move forward. Of course, all of this is informed by the fact that Harrow was once the avatar of Konshu and knows about that kind of justice, and he's trying to do it a different way. So you have a villain with intimate knowledge of your hero, which makes things even more interesting. Konshu punishes those who have already walked an evil path. His retribution comes too late. And as we sort of widen the scope here, this is the most, in a way, DC of the Marvel projects that we've seen, and that it's very godly. It's very much about, you know, the powers of the Egyptian gods being played out by the avatars here on Earth, these sort of big picture ideas. And it's not something that only DC does, but it does harken back to things like the Wonder Woman mythology. I also like that we learned that Harrow's cane is not just a lifestyle choice to support his glass walking habit, it actually can do some cool stuff. I mean, I don't know about you, but I think I would kind of like a cane that I can smash on the ground and bring forth some kind of crazy creature from the depths of, uh, not hell, but certainly somewhere. I mean, I don't know if it would be a jackal. I think maybe I'd want to bring like a litter of puppies out just to like make people happy, but I, I don't know if they make canes for that. I'm not really in the magic cane business. Much like Moon Knight itself, I don't have a deep background in the magical cane processes in history, so perhaps this is the only thing that you can make magic canes do. I will say that almost by default, Harrow is the best accessorizer since Michael Clark Duncan's Kingpin back in Ben Affleck's version of Daredevil. Of course, I think he gets extra points, as I said, for the functionality. The other thing this episode really cemented was the basic plot line, or at least the plot line it seems like for the first few episodes of this show, which is essentially a treasure hunt. We have this scarab that leads to the secret of resurrecting Amit. Of course, we don't want this to happen because it seems like it will be very, very bad for a lot of people. So that's going to be this conflict, this sort of the mummy meets national treasure race to either resurrect or not resurrect this Egyptian god. And as Steven slash Mark is trying to prevent all of this from happening, we have the revelation of maybe not the coolest superhero summoning slogan ever. Summon the suit! Summon the suit is not exactly Shazam. It's not as much an invocation of a superhero as it is the tagline for a men's warehouse Harry Potter crossover event. But I do like that the two different suits that Mark and Steven summon, try saying that five times fast, are very different. Steven's suit is uh, kind of like a fancy Deadpool. Uh, the idea that when he's told to summon the suit, he actually makes himself a three-piece suit, I think is hilarious. And then we know what Mark's suit looks like. And again, by differentiating them here, I think it makes the whole DID thing not just a gimmick. You're actually setting this up as two characters in one body. And it's actually, from what I've read in many places, a good examination of what it's like for somebody with DID, the idea of not knowing part of your life, the idea of sharing your body with two different voices. There's a hell of a punch back there. Look around. Someone's gonna get hurt if you don't let me help. It's a very good way of bringing to life something that a lot of people may have only seen in TV and movies where it's maybe not dramatized quite as well or read about in books. So once Mark's suit has been summoned, we get the rooftop fight chase scene that we have seen shots of in the trailers. And again, I think when you bring Moon Knight out for these action sequences, I love how they're choreographed. I love the look of the character. It's reminiscent of things that we've seen in other superhero films, but it doesn't feel derivative of any of them. I like the way that they combined the practical 
choreography. Obviously, there's a lot of digital work in here as well, but I thought that it was a really great sequence. If this was kind of a cookie cutter story, if I didn't really care for the performances and the action beats were the only thing that really made me kind of sit up in my seat, then I could maybe subscribe to the idea that we haven't quite had enough of the Moon Knight action. But the fact that I like these characters, I like the conflict, I like the scenes between Ethan Hawke and Oscar Isaac, I want to know where this story is going. That doesn't make me sit there going like, well, where's Moon Knight? When's Moon Knight going to come into this story? Now, if he's still barely in the show by the time we get to episode six, that's fine. But I think like all superhero movies and TV shows, we're probably building up to something bigger as we go along toward the end of the series. And I'm sure that we're going to get a lot more Moon Knight as the show goes on. As cool as this action sequence was, though, it's ultimately an L for our heroes because Harrow gets his hands on the scarab and potentially the secret to resurrect Emit. And we also have this conflict now between Mark and Steven where Mark has had enough of all this and he now refuses to cede control of the body back to Steven. So this dynamic that we had in the first almost two episodes of the show where Steven's in control, now we seem to have a situation where Mark is in control. And I'm, and I'm excited to see where Oscar Isaac takes his performance. You hurt I'm people. Never him I'm never going to let you hurt Just anyone else Stop. ever again. Steven, shut up. Just I will shut up. Give you Stop a moment. Steven, shut up. I promise. Shut up. Two episodes in, and I know that this hasn't been a performance for everybody, but I really, really like what he's doing in this show. I mean, it's unlike anything I've seen Oscar Isaac do in the past. It's very unique. It doesn't feel like he's just somebody who's kind of sleepwalking through a script because he wanted a big prestige role in a superhero TV show. It really does seem like he's engaged as an actor into what he can bring to now these two characters, and it really shows on the screen. And we have the Mark Layla story as well. I hope we get to hear more of that from both her perspective and Mark's perspective, where he's acting as her protector in some way because Khonshu really wants her to be the avatar of his justice. And he's basically saying, well, I'm not going anywhere because I don't want him to get his paws on you. So you have this conflict between Mark and Steven, between Mark and Khonshu, between Layla and Mark. Steven and Layla are getting to know each other for the first time. You basically have a very small number of characters, but with a lot of different potential conflicts between all of them. And I think that keeps the show fresh and energized. Ultimately, we end the episode in Egypt, which somehow looks better on this TV show than it did in Kenneth Branagh's Death on the Nile movie. It appears that Mark and Steven are going to be hot on Harrow's trail in order to stop the resurrection of Summit as we get into episode three next week, and that's really where we leave it. We have a bunch of people on a race to Summit's tomb. We've got scarabs and puzzles and lots of different stuff. I like movies like this. I like these sort of treasure hunt action adventure movies, and I hope that we get some real mummy-esque Egyptian action in the next episode. What did you think of the episode? Did you like the two fashion senses of the Moon Knights that we saw? What would your Moon Knight suit look like? Let me know down in the comments below. And thank you so much for watching the channel as I recap Moon Knight week to week. Stay tuned because I've got at least two movie reviews coming up. Sonic the Hedgehog 2, which I'm seeing on Thursday afternoon. You'll have a review for that Thursday night. Ambulance from Michael Bay, which I'm also seeing on Thursday. You'll probably have that review on Friday. And then I'm hoping to see everything everywhere all at once. It looks like it's not going to be playing directly around me, but there may be a couple theaters a couple hours away that I can sneak off to some point this weekend because I desperately want to see that movie. So if I can see everything everywhere all at once, I'm also going to bring you a review of that movie this weekend. And don't forget, I'll be back next 
next week with a recap of Moon Knight Episode 3. Of course, Charts with Dan every week where I look at the box office and it looks to be like another busy box office week. And we are building up to another big MCU film event in about a month with Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. So much going on. We've got an Obi-Wan show coming up. Lots of great stuff. Be sure to subscribe here to the channel. And something that I haven't asked people to do a lot and probably need to more often is to turn on those notifications. There's that bell that you can click to be notified every time that I upload a new video. It helps these videos get watched more quickly. It helps them get spread around more. So if you want to see more of what I'm up to, don't just subscribe. Hit that bell. Get those notifications going because there's going to be a lot of stuff coming up that you're going to want to hear about. I'm still on board with Moon Knight after two episodes, and I hope you are too. I'll be back very soon with more movie news and reviews, but until then, stay safe, and I'll see you next time. Bye. When facing a family law matter, it can feel like an overwhelming and never-ending court process. It's vital to know that things will look better on the other side if you hire legal counsel with the skill and compassion to help. At Stangy Law Firm, we represent clients in difficult family law matters every day. Visit FamilyLawRepresentation.com to schedule your consultation. That's FamilyLawRepresentation.com. Stangy Law Firm, here to help you rebuild your life. Stangy Law Firm has an office in Wichita. Kirk Stangy, 120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450 Clayton, Missouri. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.